your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Bowers awaits the shotgun snap, sends the tight end in motion. They roll right. Bowers throws pass. It's not complete. Eli Sullivan knocks the football away, and the Huskers have a goal line stand taking over the one. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Thank you. Welcome to another week of Sports Nightly. Hope you had a good weekend. Here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. Open phones for the first hour. Get your thoughts, takes on Husker football after another disappointing Saturday for the Big Red. As they come up short on the road in West Lafayette, losing 31-27 to the Boilermakers. Head basketball coach Fred Hoiberg will be here in hour number two. It's our men's basketball show. The college basketball season begins tomorrow. Huskers in action tomorrow night against UC Riverside. 8 o'clock tip at PBA. The Fred Hoiberg era of Husker hoops. 24 hours away. So we'll have the head coach in studio to talk about the Husker basketball team. Hour number three, we'll have our weekend rewind, and Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com will join us as well. Here are the numbers. You want to be a part of this one tonight? Our phones are your phones tonight. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Another close but no cigar game for the Big Red, a game that – I think I even said on the air during the broadcast, Ben, that to me it was the most frustrating game of the season because Nebraska had a chance to really deliver a knockout blow in the first half of the game, failed to do so, and let the, left the door open for the Boilermakers, and they took advantage and made more plays in the end than Nebraska did. And there were parts of each game that was re- parts of the defense, the offense, special teams that were really good for Nebraska on Saturday. And then, quite honestly, there were parts that were lousy for all phases of the game. Maybe not so much in special teams, but on offense and defense. And for the 11th time in the Scott Frost era, the Huskers have been involved in a one-score game. And for the eighth of those 11 times, they come up short. And there's such a fine margin between winning and losing and Nebraska's finding themselves more times than not on the bad end of that fine line. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get so tired of using the word frustrated. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know that there's a word past that, but if there is, if there is that, that's what it was. I mean, at halftime I'm sitting on the bench and thinking you can't leave that many points on the field and still win these games. I mean, I just, I just the, the going through the second half, I was relatively confident only one time in the second half that Nebraska was going to win that game, and that was after they went down and scored Adrian's second touchdown run. It was really the only time that I felt comfortable in the fact that um, that they that the Huskers might win. But sitting there at halftime, I'm I'm thinking to myself, you cannot do the things that this team did in the first half and win. I mean, there there's way too many blown opportunities to to overcome from. And and it, and it was hard to even make a list of them all, right? I mean, you almost have to go through and write every single one of them down to to hit on all of it. And 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 the, I think the the part that to me is is the most frustrating is and I think to a lot of the fans too, and, I, and I'm interested in, in hearing from people tonight. You know, if you watch the game and Nebraska does enough things 
well at certain times to get your hopes up that they can be a really good football team. Really good in a sense to where you're definitely making a bowl, maybe not competing for the West, but you know, you you're you're doing things right enough to be, you know, in, in a in a reasonable spot in year two of a new head coach. But then the frustrating part comes in where for every winning play that you have, there's three or four losing plays that completely erase the positive mindset that you had, right? You block a kick, you block a punt, you get a turnover, you get an interception, your defensive tackle gets an interception inside the five. Um, you know, your quarterback makes a bad, bad mistake, bad read, bad throw, results in interception, and your senior corner gets a pick right back. You know, those are winning football plays. Those are plays that need to result in points and that good teams make. But then for every play of that, you have a botched shuffle pass. You have uh, you take a sack. Uh, you throw an interception. You know, you, you miss a block. You have a penalty. You know, all of these things just completely erase what, what you did. You overthrow a wide-open kind of Ainoa for a touchdown those are all losing football plays and, and unfortunately Nebraska has a long list of these every single week and and they come from different areas they come from different players and, and I just went through the first half play by play multiple times watched each play multiple times and it's it, the amount of inconsistency is honestly mind-blowing Right. I mean, you go back and watch a particular drive and I bet you could point to seven or eight offensive players and have one really good play and one really bad play from multiple positions on an offense. And, and each drive, I mean, it's not just in a quarter or a half, but each each let alone drive, you can pick out a player for an entire drive and go, "Ooh, that was that was really good. And then you go, what are you doing on the next play? And And that's that's the frustrating part is. Uh, you know, I was talking with Teddy about this when Nebraska was playing Northwestern, and they haven't changed. And Teddy even said it: they're a weird team; they're a hard team to figure out. Really, the only team that the, the only part that you can figure out in a close game is you're just bracing yourself for a heartbreak. I mean, that's really the only you know thing that that you're, you're certain you're going to see. And and to me, Greg, we can, we're going to probably dissect this game a lot tonight. The individual plays of players and. You know all of that stuff, which is which is perfectly fine. But to me, the only thought I had, and I really didn't want to talk to anybody all week about all weekend about it. I, you know, and thankfully my friends and family pretty much left me alone because there's not much to say. But the thought that that kept going through my mind all the rest of Saturday, the flight home, driving back to my house all day yesterday, and even today, is the concerning thing is. You, you, you don't feel great about any certain particular area about this football team with three games to go. That, that, that to me is the concern. Like you, you can't point to one area of the team and go, well, at least we can bank on this particular part to bail us out, to, to be consistent, to make a play. You, you just can't do that right now. Not at quarterback, not at O-line, not at running back, not at wide receiver, not at D-line, not at linebacker, not at kicker, not at punter. There, there's not a single part to the team that that is consistent enough for you to feel great about it every week. And to me, that's my biggest concern above all else, above all the losing plays, the winning plays, the trends, the rushing yards, all that aside, that's the lingering thought that I have. You mentioned sitting on the bench at halftime. Nebraska had seven, eight possessions in the first half. Seven of the eight 
They got the ball over the 50-yard line and ended up with 10 points in the first half. So seven of the eight possessions, they took the ball into Purdue territory. Granted, the last one was the last play of the half where Adrian ran it down there. So that maybe just shouldn't count. So, okay, so seven possessions, six of them in Purdue territory to come away with only 10 points. Purdue in the first half had seven possessions. Only twice did they get it over the 50, and they scored touchdowns on both of those drives. There's, there was literally no reason. And both of those drives were over 75 yards. 89 and 96. 89 and 96 yard drives where you couldn't make a play to get off the field. So while the defense for the first five times Purdue had the ball did a great job, time six and seven couldn't get off the field. It, it just it, it speaks to it, it, that just speaks to my point right there where there's there's always some good, but there's the bad is always worse than the good. Right. And, and I'm thinking of a couple of other just instances. Right. I co- coach told us at halftime uh, two games ago. I'm tired of watching the defense give up points in the third quarter. And he's, he was absolutely right because the defense has been really just the third quarter in general for the entire team has been terrible all year. So, you know, that was something as well. And then another thing that, you know, Austin and I worked on for a Matt stat, you know, the fact that, you know, the amount of negative plays that Nebraska gets on a drive and the successes of those drives. And so you get, you get all of these individual parts and it's a cumulative effect. And what does it equal? Losses. Yep. And, and that's, that's where we're at. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. Cheatham with the ball inside the free throw circle underneath. A double-fisted dunk by Cross underneath. Great find by Cheatham and big Kevin Cross dunks it. An inside look at what's going on around Nebraska basketball. Old-fashioned three-point play. Good by uh, free throw. Good by Gervais. And now at the timeline, he strips the ball and he will dunk it with the right hand of Tomahawk. Gervais Green. With the head coach, Fred Hoiberg. Throws it on the left sideline to easily and the pick-and-pop return pass to Porter, drives it, drops it off, and a goal, a rope with a two-handed dunk, and another assist by Brett Porter. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Basketball Radio Show, Greg Sharp. Thank you. Welcome to our second show of the year. Huskers ready to open the regular season tomorrow night against UC Riverside. If you want to be a part of the program tonight with a comment or question for the head coach, here are the numbers. 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. you get butterflies at all when the season starts or not? Yeah, it's kind of kind of the time of year where you don't sleep much, and you know, especially with daylight or with the with the hour yeah, the fall change. back. I uh, last couple of days you get up at four, and then you just kind of lay around and think, and you do you have everything you need in all the special situations that you need to go over. Uh, so yeah, absolutely, I get butterflies, and you know, I think if you don't, you're in the wrong profession. It's uh, the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, hopefully we go out and perform and play well. There's so many unknowns about this team for everybody, including us, because we haven't had that true game experience. Uh, to this point. So I'm looking forward to getting out there, seeing what we have, and, and hopefully getting better as the season goes on. What did you take from the dry run, which was the exhibition with Doan last week? What did you take away from that? Well, I thought we were so jacked up early in that game, uh, and we came out and just dug ourselves a hole, but we were just moving way too fast and trying to do things that we hadn't done uh, in any of our practices. And, you know, that's human nature, I think, first time out in front of the fans. 
you know, a couple guys hadn't played. Deshaun Burke hadn't played in over a year, uh, sitting out as a transfer and, uh, you know, came out just trying to hit home runs early as opposed to just going out and executing and, and running your stuff and getting back in transition and, and getting stops in the other end. Once we calmed down, I was really pleased that you know, in the kind of middle of the first half, uh, from beginning of the uh, after the first media timeout to the last one in those 14 minutes, I think we outscored them 35 to three and really established our defense. It got us out in transition when we got rebounds. Uh, you know, there's plenty of things that we can learn from it. And then uh, everybody that stepped on the floor, I thought, did a good job. They went out and competed and played the right way. One guy's plus minus that was really solid it was Thor's. And he was one of the guys you kind of brought in that second wave. Thor was terrific. I, I thought Thor, uh, you know, he and Cam really developed a good chemistry out there. Thor has a very high IQ and a good understanding of the game. And Cam would break down the defense and get Thor slashing out of the corner. I think he got three back cut layups right away, uh, you know, kind of open up and get us a lead. Uh, and, you know, again, he's just, you always know Thor, especially defensively, he's always going to be where he's supposed to be. And there's something to be said about that. And then offensively, he got a fast break layup. He's going to run uh, every possession. And, and again, he's going to cut uh, when the defense gives him that lane. And, and that's where he got it going a little bit. And that's when we opened it up. He was a guy that was here when you got the job in March. What did you think of him? Because you got a chance to work some of these guys out a little bit. We did, yeah. I, I liked Thor. The system that we run, there's a lot of read and react out of it. And this is a system that's it's new for me, except for going back to my days where I had guys like Royce White, where you know I played kind of a five-out uh, system. And, uh, you know, Thor... You know, we always say if defense gives you a lane to the basket, take it. And Thor is so good at understanding and reading uh, when the defender maybe gets a half step up the lane and, you know, he back cuts. Uh, not only taking his man, it may not be for him, but he's going to suck in the defense and it's going to open up something for somebody else. So I've been really impressed and, and happy with Thor. Another guy whose numbers were really impressive was a freshman. Samari Curtis did some really good things. Samari did well. You know, I, I really I complimented him. His first stint, he went out there. He didn't didn't even take a shot, but I thought he had a tremendous impact in the game. And those are the things we're trying to talk to Samari about as far as, uh, you know, going out there. If the shot's not falling or if you're not maybe as involved in the offense, go out and do the little things. And I thought he did that. He was in the right spot. Uh, you know, he's an opposite low man, which is the most important spot in the floor defensively where he got a couple deflections and steals and he rebounded the ball well then when he got his shots uh, he stepped up and knocked him down and that's how that works you go out and do the right things and and make plays uh, on the defensive end of the floor that generally uh, good things happen on the other end and that's what happened to Samari he's pretty well put together he is he's got a great body he's, yeah. he's got good size he's a combo guard uh, you know in practice we've been having him run uh, the point on that second team he's playing with Kevin Cross who also can bring the ball up the floor as the trail man is at the five spot uh, but yeah, Samari uh, has got a, he's got a very bright future ahead because of his ability to make shots. And, uh, and like I said, he's been growing defensively. It's always an adjustment uh, for freshmen when they get there for the first time on campus. It's a totally different system than he's used to, but uh, he's been getting better every day. Does everybody have a green light for you, or is it some guys? Eh, you this is your range, and you don't. Or how do you handle that? Yeah, a few guys we probably aren't going to let shoot uh, shoot from out there. Maybe maybe just one, uh, Ivan. But he's working on it. You know, we're going to continue to work on that with him. Uh, you know, I kind of compare it to when. Uh, I was coaching with the Bulls, and, uh, you know, when we started resting some of our veterans to see what we had with some younger players, you know, I worked with Robin Lopez on his three-point shooting uh, pretty much every day. You have to have that in today's game uh, if you play – uh, the big spot, you know, the five-man spot. So uh, Ivan has been working at it. It's been getting better. We've been doing a ton of work on his free throws where he's improved uh, a great deal. Um, but, uh, you know, listen, offensive design, if you can manufacture a good shot, I expect our guys to step up with confidence and knock him down. 
is the, to you is the worst shot in basketball the long two? I'm not a long two fan, and you know I really got into the analytics when I coached in the NBA, and we had a guy that was he's brilliant, but it's one of the smartest guys I've ever been around in my life, and you know we get a report every day about where we're manufacturing shots, where we're giving up shots on the other end, and those numbers don't lie. Uh, you know, is there a spot for the long two? Sure, there is, but uh, you don't want to take a contested one, especially mid clock. Uh, Burke shot one the other night and it went in. I, it uh, was one of those things where he just, you know, kind of makes you mad because you don't want him taking that shot. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that's shown that, you know, he can knock those down at times. So, uh, yeah, but to answer your question, Greg, it, it is the least productive shot in the game. Okay, mentioned analytics at the NBA level. Is that available to you here at Nebraska? What, how does that all work? It is. We have, we have a very good analytics department, and we met with uh, analytics staff, uh, I guess it was about two weeks ago now, and just talked about the things that we would like to see in the postgame report uh, as far as you know, five-man lineups, two-man lineups, on-off splits, you know, how your team does when you're on the floor compared to off the floor. Uh, you know, and we won't get a, a full sample size, obviously, until we play uh, a number of games. Right. Um, but, yeah, I I've, was impressed with what they showed us, what they had to offer, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to getting those reports. Well, something that got added a couple years ago to the college box score is the plus-minus. Is that a decent indicator? Is that something you can quickly it's, yeah. snapshot? It's, it's okay. Yeah, it is okay because, you know, again, that's a number that just flat out doesn't lie. But, you know, at times it depends on who's on the floor with the other team. Maybe yeah. you're playing with a guy that's having an off night. So you can look at it and read those things I, I do think there's something to that uh, but those more advanced numbers uh, you know I think there's a lot more to it than, than just the raw plus minus okay you out rebounded Doan and, and probably should have you athletically you're just quite a bit superior to an NAIA school but wh- how did the guys look to you live and then when you went back and broke it down how did they do in body positioning and getting themselves ready to rebound I think we were we were better than what we were in the scrimmage uh, at Wichita um, but that being said, you know, Wichita is huge and athletic and, and you know, has big, strong players. Uh, and again, that was a perfect game for us to play in that closed door scrimmage. Uh, you know, you, you hope you can go out there and, and get better. And, and, uh, and, and I thought we did. We still miss some blockouts. Uh, we talk about it every day. We work on it every day. Uh, you know, we're going to have to do that tomorrow. There's a 7-2 player for... Uh, for Riverside that's really skilled and, and uh, you know, he goes over the back and back tips the ball out. So we have to put a body on him. We have to hit first. We can't allow him to use his size because he does have a huge advantage in that area. Man-to-man a lot? How much How much do you think? Will you throw some zone at teams? Well, you, you always work on it. We have worked on uh, on it some. Um, you know, obviously with Doc, he's, he's always been a man-to-man yep. guy. And, you know, we've been experimenting with some different things, uh, you know, as far as how aggressive are we going to be. Uh, you know, on the ball-ball pressure, we don't have that great shot blocker back there this year. Uh, but we've we've worked on a lot of different things man to man and and uh, you know we'll be ready but you know our main primary defense will be man to man. What challenges, coach, is it for to to play man on inbounds plays underneath the basket? For, I mean, it, obviously you can get caught in traffic a lot down in there. Do you have a philosophy about defending inbounds plays? Yeah, we we do have a, a philosophy on it. Uh, you know, I it's funny you ask that. I you know looking back on it all the years, there's a lot of teams that zone it just to take away you know there's so many more things you can run against man-to-man and you work on a lot more man-to-man because that's what you see but you know sometimes I do think about zoning underneath I know Bobby Knight went to that late in his career Bobby Knight you know zone was a nasty word to Bobby Knight but you know he went to the zone and then once the ball played man-to-man 
so uh, it is something that we we look at a lot. And you look at Armand Gates and his background. He was a guy that, that helped put in his own uh, when he was coaching at Northwestern. So uh, we have been looking uh, at that, and you know we'll we'll see how we do uh, tomorrow. But yeah, it, it is something you certainly work on. And the, your lack of size maybe affects that decision a little bit too, right? Trying to defend the rim. Yeah, it, it, it does. You know, the big thing is getting physical, getting into bodies. And, and uh, you know, we try not to switch on, you know, we'll, we'll switch some half-court type actions when there's like size. But, you know, when you run the out-of-bounds plays, you're vulnerable to a slip uh, to the basket when you switch. So we'll try to get into bodies and, and hopefully do a good job scouting and, and you know, understanding what they run and how we're going to play it. Your leading rebounder was Kevin Cross. He had a double-double in his debut game. That, that had to make you happy. I was really pleased with Kevin. He's, you know, the thing that I really liked about him when uh, when we got into the recruiting process, we beat a couple of pretty good teams uh, to get him, really good teams to get him. So, uh, you know, with, with Kevin, it's his skill level. And, you know, I'm really proud of him for what he's done to his body. He's lost over 15 pounds uh, since he's been here. He's put in a ton of work in a weight room. He's putting the right things in his body. Uh, he's, and he's gotten himself in much better shape. When he was first here, you know, Kevin would play three or four minutes, then he had to come out because he was so tired. Uh, but he's really dedicated himself uh, to doing the right things. And, again, he's a freshman, and we're going to have to be patient with him. But, you know, he does some things that are very unique uh, at that spot, putting the ball on the floor, being able to make plays. He's a really good passer. Uh, and he's a crafty player that can knock down a three-point shot. So I've, I've been pleased with Kevin. He was probably a cheeseburger and chicken nuggets guy in high school. Yeah. As, so that's all those guys eat. So was I. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's, that's what I ate growing up. And, um, you know, once you get in, you know, the great thing about uh, Nebraska is we have so many resources here, and they do such a good job of uh, – educating the players on what to put into their bodies and you know the with the rule change you know when I first got to Iowa State you could buy the guys bagels but you couldn't get them cream cheese it was you know it's a ridiculous rule now you can feed the guys pretty much what they want it's unlimited and you know Nebraska does as good a job as any as far as uh, you know putting the things not only at the training table where you get three meals a day but also fueling stations around campus for protein shakes so it's there for you if you want to do it we have a full-time nutritionist that just is with basketball uh, that does a tremendous job. Uh, and like I said, the education uh, piece with these guys, uh, if they're bought into it, their bodies will make changes. And, uh, and certainly Kevin is one of those guys. They'll probably even help the coaches out for that. It does help the coaches. Yeah, I still put crap in my body, but that's all right. We'll work on Doc on that as well. <laughs> Welcome back to Nebraska Basketball Show for the week. Head coach Fred Hoiberg with us until the top of the hour. If you want to be part of this one, 866-HUSKER-1. 866-487-5371. Huskers coming off of a 91-63 victory over Doan last week in the exhibition game. Uh, Deshaun Burke did lead you in scoring. I know you weren't happy about the long two that he made, but what about Deshaun's play in the game? Yeah, he's good, and I think in only 14 or 15 minutes. Uh, he got foul trouble right off the bat, and uh, I thought he was – much more himself in the second half. He kind of came out, and he was one of those guys, like we talked about earlier, that sped was up. so jacked up and sped up. And then once he calmed down, uh, he went out and hit some threes uh, to start the second half uh, and uh, kind of coasted the rest of the game. So, um, yeah, overall, he's uh, – you know, one one thing you don't ever have to worry about about, about Burke is he's going to go out there and play hard. And uh, that's what we love about him, and he's got a chance to have a very good year. I think the fans got a, a small sample of what Cam Mack can do for you. I think that's a guy who's got a potential to have some triple doubles for you as the season goes on. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, for his size and his position, he's a really good rebounder and he's got great vision. You saw that when we kind of opened it up in that middle part of that first half. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that can really get to the rim. So, um, 
you know, again, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot this year, and he's going to be the guy that fuels our break and hopefully gets us out there playing with great speed and great tempo, and, and he certainly did that the other night. You had 12 steals. I think – don't you think that will be a big part of your success as you get out and get some passing lanes and yeah, create that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's two – thoughts to that one is you know if you get out passing lanes you get beat you don't have that guy to erase the mistakes on the back end but uh the other thing is uh you know we do have to manufacture some points off of turnovers and you know there's gonna be times we'll get a little bit more aggressive with the pick and roll with the defense uh, based on who's setting it and how teams are playing against it uh there's also times we're going to sit back a little bit more but you know you work on those different coverages uh based on who you play and then hopefully put the right game plan together we talk about possessions in the sport of football a lot. You want a lot of possessions too. You want the basket. You want to be up and down more. We want to play. Yeah, we've always had teams that have played fast, and you know, it's just it's it's what I know. It's it's how I like to play. It's it's how I played in college. It's how I played. In, you know, in the league, there's so many possessions that you have with obviously the shorter shot clock, and uh, you know, it's what we want to do is try to get the ball up the floor. And you know, it's I think one of the advantages we'll have this year is our team speed. So you have to take advantage of that and hopefully get it up quick. We were talking about rule changes last week on the show. One of the things is after a missed shot, if an offensive rebound happens, the clock's only going to go to 20 instead of 30. That's a good move, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think that is a good move. Um, they did that in the league last year in the NBA where they uh, re- reset the clock to 14 after a missed shot. Right. And, and I do. I think it's a good rule change. It does obviously create more possessions. And, uh, you know, anytime you do that, I think it, it improves the game. Well, all right. Tomorrow night, Riverside is here. You mentioned they have a 7-1 guy. Um, they didn't have a great year last year and a 10-23 and record. Second-year head coach, David Patrick, is a guy you know a little bit. I do know David. Uh, you know, David was the guy that uh, started out his career at St. Mary's, and David's an Australian um, that did a great job getting in guys like Patty Mills and Della Vadova, uh, you know, guys that played in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a, a you know very good track record and very well respected. Uh, he spent a little time in the NBA with the Houston Rockets and uh, was at LSU and most recently at TCU as an assistant. So uh, good to see him get his opportunity. He's a great guy very passionate uh, guy and he does a terrific job uh, recruiting players I really think he's going to get it going there this is a game that you have some buy games or you bring people in because you're not returning this trip to Riverside but the, you could they can make their season right by beating a Nebraska in a game well yeah I mean they're again they're going to come in here and, and play with great intensity they won their exhibition game by I think 38 uh, the other night so um, you know it's a, it's a good team it's uh, you know with the international players they they have guys that can really space the floor they want to shoot and they spread it around their big player who they play through so uh, it's a good system for that team and, and they've made some improvements they've gotten some players uh, this year that'll help them in a big way Big West squad that'll be here tomorrow night, 8 o'clock tip for the Huskers in their opening game of the season. You've been able to stay fairly healthy. I think people got a little nervous with Kavas went down. Looked like he maybe rolled his ankle. He can be okay? Yeah, he just he tweaked his ankle a little bit, uh, the same ankle that he hurt uh, a couple weeks ago that you know forced him to miss, I think, four or five days of practice. So it was the same ankle, wasn't very severe, and he was back practicing the next day. Good. He did. I know he didn't connect a lot the other night in the exhibition game, but you like the way he shoots. I it. love. I love Mate. He he really shoots it. Um, you know, forty six percent three point shooter the last two seasons, and he's going to be a big part of this thing for us. Uh, you know, a guy is going to come off the bench uh, tomorrow. Uh, you know, we'll see how that goes throughout the course of the season. But he had five of them against uh, Wichita in our scrimmage, five threes. Uh, and he's certainly a guy that can get it going. All right, you started with Wedrago, Mac, Burke, Cheatham, Green. 
Is that the group, or are you? We're, yeah, be we're gonna we're gonna start that way again tomorrow, um, and uh, and we'll see. I mean, we may be a team that switches up lineups. You know, if we really like it, we may go this way for an extended period. But uh, you know, it's just the way we're going tomorrow, and uh, you know, we'll kind of go from there. I, I really don't care, and I talk to our guys about this: who starts the game? It's about who's on the court at the end, and who's going to finish, and who can you trust? And you know, we still don't know that because we're so new in this thing but um you know until you get out there against another opponent you have adversity and uh you know you really don't know uh what you have and who you can trust at the end of game so um you know it's gonna be a little trial and error here this first part of the season early on um you know but uh we'll see we'll see how it goes do you are you set to start the same if 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 somebody starts the game is that who started the second half or have you been known to tweak that i've switched i've switched it if somebody gets a really hot hand or somebody's out there not playing the right way uh we have made changes at halftime um but uh yeah i mean you have a feel right now we have an idea going into every game uh what a rotation is going to look like and we try to stick to it but obviously there's a lot of variables you have foul trouble you have uh, you know, different things that might happen. Maybe somebody's injuries, injuries somebody's not playing well. Yeah. So you have to be ready to deviate from that plan. But, um, you know, we have a pretty good idea going into it, what the minute distributions are going to look like. Um, but again, if somebody gets hot, I've always been a guy, you know, some people have an absolute set finishing lineup. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've been a guy, if, if you really have it going, if you're hot or if somebody's, you know, having an off night, uh, we'll go with somebody different. That's one thing about this team. We're pretty even across the board as far as the talents on our team. You know, my f- couple teams at Iowa State you know I'd five players head and shoulders better than the rest of the players maybe a sixth man that was in that group as well but here you know we've got probably nine that uh, that are pretty equal that uh, that I could see uh, finishing and then again you, you, you develop the rotation you develop uh, a trust level with them and, and hopefully at some point we get to it where you know these are the guys that are going to be on the floor at the end. You talked about that growing up that you were always influenced by fast-paced basketball who who kind of molded you as a coach who, who did you take things from I, t- I really took things from everybody uh you know but going back to I think we all learned probably as much from our high school coach as anybody and I had a guy Wayne Clinton who was coach for all different sports he was a softball coach and uh, coach girls track at Ames High School and uh, was a great basketball coach won a state championship uh, my senior year so I take a lot from him as far as the fundamentals you're still so impressionable at that age and, uh, you know, Coach Clinton was, was terrific. I still talk to him quite a bit, uh, you know, to this day. In fact, he actually texted me last week and uh, was quoted in uh, Chris Eddy's article in the, in the World Herald huh. uh, talking about how much, um, you know, he, he's just, you know, a, a junkie. So, you know, he's a guy that I learned a lot from. And then uh, Johnny Orr was my first coach in college, you know, back in the old Big Eight days. You know, Johnny was such a legendary in, in Ames. He was a larger-than-life figure. I think he's the most uh, important figure in Iowa State basketball history Mm -hmm. and you know he established a fast style of play that was very exciting I was a ball boy in those teams watching those teams play Uh, so he was very impressionable Tim Floyd who came in my senior year who I also played with in the NBA uh, is a guy that I take a lot. I talk to, actually talked to Tim today. Um, and then, you know, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, <clears throat> Larry Brown, uh, Flip Saunders, um, Bill Carr, you know, everybody. I take things from everybody, what I liked, what maybe I didn't like, and, and just try to uh, uh, put that into our system and our program. And, uh, you know, it's, again, fast pace has been the one thing that's pretty much been a constant with it. You're getting ready for your first game of the year. How do you break out? 
game prep? Who who breaks down an opponent for you? Do you give it to a certain coach? Does it rotate games? How do you set that up? We do. We break it down between the coaches, and then <clears throat> we get together for meetings. And uh, you know, Doc and I'll sit in there with the coach whose scout it is, and uh, you know, we'll go through the matchups. We'll go through how we're going to defend certain actions. Uh, we've been watching film now for uh, three days on this team, <clears throat> Riverside, that we're going to play uh, tomorrow, and uh, you know, tomorrow we'll watch another personnel edit in the morning, and then uh, watch their plays uh, before the game. But but, you know, a lot goes into it. You watch games, not only the one game we've seen this year, but also uh, a lot of their games from a year ago and just try to see tendencies and what they might do. They're more, a lot more aggressive this year was what they showed in their exhibition than they played last year. So that's something that we have to be ready for, how they're going to defend our actions and put a list of plays together that we think might expose it. How much has that changed since your playing days in college, the amount of availability of film, tape, all that to break down an opponent? Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible how much information <laughs> It's almost too much at times. You know, yeah. you just really have to be careful. You can't overload these guys and overwhelm them. With th- If you throw too much out at them, they won't remember anything. So you take their top five actions. You talk about how you're going to play the pick and roll and how you're going to play the post. Uh, and just try to go out there and, and play the right way. But, you know, so much of it is against a fast team. You have to get back in transition. Against a rebounding team, big, strong team, you have to be able to compete on the glass. Uh, but, yeah, you, you try to get their top actions and how you're going to go out there and defend them. The games come at you so quickly. You have another game on Saturday. Do you already have somebody breaking down Southern Utah? We do, yeah. We, we've got uh, somebody in there working on it. They play tomorrow night as well, actually the same time that we play, and that's a really good team. They've got uh, uh, some high-level athletes, uh, very lengthy, talented. They're going to be bigger than we are. Uh, so, yeah, it's you know two, two good tests for us here early in the season. Both home, both at PBA, Huskers tomorrow night at 8 o'clock against UC Riverside. Well, every Monday night, we like to take a snapshot of the national picture of college football. None better to do that than Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. He joins us now. Adam, uh, before we jump into the games from Saturday, maybe the biggest news of the weekend was Florida State's decision on Sunday to fire Willie Taggart after only a year and a half being the head coach for the Seminoles. Were you surprised by this? You know, Greg, I think the timing was a little surprising. I thought it might happen in a week or two, but it was becoming increasingly likely. I know that Florida State has some financial struggles, but we've been hearing that they had some money set aside to to make this move, which is obviously an expensive one. Willie Taggart owed more than $17 million. You factor in the staff costs, and certainly not not a cheap thing to do. But I think Florida State just felt they couldn't go forward with this thing turning around, and they wanted to get into the market maybe ahead of a a program like USC and, and target some top candidates. So yeah, it is stunning, you know, even in this day and age when, when it's what it's what it would have you done for me lately for a coach to be fired after only 21 games. Any idea where they may try to target their list? I, I, I keep thinking that a PJ Fleck at Minnesota might be a guy that might be on their radar. Yeah, I think he should be. I think, you know, the thing with Florida State, obviously, we, we, we remember the glory days and how great that program is capable of being, but they've really lost their way, not only in, on the field, Greg, but I think from a culture and a locker room standpoint. And whatever you think of P.J. Fleck, he has a very clear culture and, and that, that, would, that he'd bring in the door, and I don't think he'd compromise on some of the things that have worked for him at Western Michigan and now at Minnesota. And so that, that could be a, a part of this hire, that you don't just want to hire a good coach. You want to hire someone who can really be a different voice and establish a much more disciplined and, 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 and clean culture there. Because it, and that wasn't all Willie Tiger's fault. I think he inherited a bad locker room from Jimbo Fisher and had a hard time getting things on track. But I think the next coach has to have that element 
uh, online in addition to recruiting and then obviously the on-field performance. All right, let's go to some of the on-field performances from Saturday. Pretty good day for the Pac-12, wasn't it, Adam, with, with Oregon's big win and also Utah's? No doubt. And, you know, this is the thing in the playoff era. I think we've talked about it, Greg, that you know, there's one conversation, are you a good conference? And there's another conversation, are you well positioned for the playoff? And sometimes the answers are different. But I think now the Pac-12 at least has a chance with, with the, the possibility of a strong likelihood of Oregon and uh, Utah meeting in the league title game, both at 11-1, and one, uh, both in the top 10. That's the ideal scenario if you want to get one of those top four spots. Now, they're still going to need some help elsewhere, but at least that cleaned it up as far as Utah now controls its own fate in the South Division, USC now with two conference losses, and then Oregon with no losses in the Pac-12, you know, clearly going to be the representative of the North Division. Okay, you mentioned the playoff. First rankings come out tomorrow night. What would your four be, and what do you think it will end up being tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, we file these at the end of the games every week, and, and mine wasn't changed uh, from the past week. Uh, it was LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Alabama 3, and Clemson four, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's the order on Tuesday night. I don't think anyone can be number one, Greg, other than LSU or Ohio State. I don't think anybody else has the type of dominance and the resume, and if they really want to credit resume, I, I think they need to put LSU one, having beaten three teams that at least when the time, at the time they played were in the top ten in the AP poll. Ohio State doesn't have quite that same resume, but, but they've both been very dominant teams in, in most of their games. So I, I think it's going to be some combination of Ohio State or LSU at one, Alabama at three, and then it'll be interesting to see the fourth spot. Maybe Penn State gets in there. Maybe it, it's somebody else and not Clemson, but I, I would imagine it'll be Clemson or Penn State. How high up the ladder do you see one of those Pac-12 teams that we just talked about being? Yeah, that'll be the other part of this. I, I, again, I think Oregon has some nice wins on its resume. I also think they should be credited with going out and scheduling Auburn, playing a very competitive game that they had the lead in right until the final minute when Auburn drove down for the game-winning touchdown. And so that'll be interesting to see how it's valued by the committee. Now, you know, Rob Mullins, who's the Oregon Athletic Director, is the chair of the committee. He's the person you'll be hearing uh, that, that will speak for the committee's rankings, but he obviously can't be involved when Oregon comes up, he has to recuse himself. Okay, this week, here we go. Bama, LSU. I know game day is going to be there for this matchup. This is going to be this is going to be fun on Saturday. I can't wait for this one. Your thoughts about this matchup? Yeah, Greg. I mean, this takes place every year. It's always a big game. A lot of future NFL players on the field every single year. But there's a different dynamic now with LSU improving so much on offense. They really mirror Alabama with their RPO system, a great quarterback in Joe Burrow, outstanding receivers, maybe not quite as talented as the Alabama group. I don't think there's anyone in the country that can quite match Alabama for depth and talent. Uh, and then you have the major question mark, which is Tua Tungavailoa and his status. You know, I have a piece up for E-plus right now talking to coaches about that game, and they make it very clear that Tua's accuracy, his ability to run the RPO, is what makes Alabama a 45- to 50-point-a-game offense. Without him, they're very different, and, and that'll obviously help LSU. But LSU now will be without one of its starting linebackers. Michael Divinity has left the team for, for some reason. So, yeah, there's definitely news on both sides, but I think it's going to be a very competitive game on Saturday. And we, you mentioned Penn State earlier. They have to travel to the Twin Cities to take on the aforementioned P.J. Fleck. You, do you give the Gophers a shot in this game? You know, I do. Again, this is the biggest home game in, in recent memory, maybe in the last 50 years. 
that they've had there at TCF Bank Stadium. And uh, they are a, a team that's been dominant in Big Ten play recently. Now you have to play the schedule you, you, you get, and it hasn't been an overly uh, a tough schedule. But, but you credit Minnesota. They overcame some uh, you know, close, very close to call non-conference games early against some not-so-great competition. But they have been terrific lately. I'm very excited, Greg, to see that 1,700 or 1,700-pound offensive line for the Gophers <laughs> going against uh, you know, Gross Matos and, uh, and, and Chaka Tony and the rest of that Penn State defensive front. And then to see Penn State's offense, which has been a little bit feast or famine, going against a good Gopher defense. I, I expect a competitive game, but you know, of the two teams, Penn State more talented and certainly more tested than Minnesota is. All right. What are you, uh, anything else on the schedule this week that's got your attention? Maybe Wisconsin-Iowa? Yeah, I mean, this game's obviously going to be under the radar with both teams having two losses. But, uh, you know, last time Wisconsin posted Iowa, it was ugly. Iowa had just come off of that incredible blowout win of, over Ohio State. And I think they had about 50 yards in the game uh, against Wisconsin. So you might see an angry Badger team after losing its last two games. You're certainly with Minnesota, you're two games up potentially on both, even though they haven't played uh, Wisconsin or Iowa. This is a must-win game, I think, if you want to win the West Division. So, you know, great rivalry. It's been one of the more even rivalries in college football. And, uh, and I think we'll see another uh, really good game. But I, I give Wisconsin the edge just because you don't see the, the Badgers lose three in a row very often. Yeah, no doubt. All right, what do you, uh, what do you got this week? Are you staying home? Are you going got, somewhere? No, I got Gophers. Uh, yeah. I got Gophers, Sydney Lions. I'll be rowing the boat on Saturday. And, you know, I, I'm pretty excited for this uh, because, you know, Minnesota's been a program that just hasn't uh, had this type of uh, national attention. If, you know, if it wasn't Alabama – uh, LSU, I'm sure college game day would be in Minneapolis. And, and so it's a game that people are paying attention to. A lot of people don't know what to make of this Gopher team because they haven't played the best competition. But now they're going to be tested against a Penn State team that already has won at Iowa. They've already won at Michigan State. So excited to see both those teams. And, and hey, Penn State can really make a statement, Greg. If they go out and beat Minnesota definitively, I think we have to start looking at them in that same light as Ohio State is really a top playoff contender out of the Big Ten. Could be in that Big Ten title game. How about who would have thought that back in July? Yeah, I mean, right now, again, if Minnesota wins this game, uh, now they still have Wisconsin. Uh, that's a home game. They have to go to Iowa if they go to Northwestern, but uh, it was struggling. And so I, I really think if Minnesota can win this game, it's going to be they're really going to have an opportunity to get to Indianapolis, which is incredible. Now the schedule certainly fell their fell their way, but but they're a team that that is improving. They have some outstanding receivers, some some really good defensive players like Cotter. Carter Coughlin and, and, and a good scheme on that side of the ball. So, yeah, this could be a preview of the Big Ten Championship. I don't think it will be because somebody's <laughs> going to lose, but uh, it certainly could be. Wow, great stuff. Adam, we appreciate it. Travel safe to the Twin Cities, and we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, Greg. Appreciate it. Welcome back. Monday Night Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. A couple of Husker notes for you here at the end of the program. They did announce today that the Wisconsin Husker football game will either be at 11 or 2.30. It will be televised by BTN. They will use one of their six-day pick windows, so we won't know the game, the exact game time until Sunday, but we know it's either at 11 or 2.30, and BTN will have the television coverage for that. Friday, we had David Harris, Husker cross-country coach, on the program. The Huskers did compete in the Big Ten Cross-country championships yesterday in Columbus, Ohio. The men finished sixth. George Kusha, second. So he finished runner-up at the Big Ten championships. And the Husker women finished tenth. So those are 
both highs for the men and women since Nebraska joined the league. So congratulations to the Oscar cross-country teams. All right, tomorrow night, only an hour program because of Oscar basketball. Big Red opens the season tomorrow night, 8 o'clock tip at PBA. So we'll have a one-hour program leading you up to pregame coverage at 7. We'll have been situated over at PBA. Uh, we'll be breaking down the Husker matchup with UC Riverside. Coach, we, Coach, we, uh, of course, we had Fred Hoiberg in studio for an hour here tonight, but we'll uh, get you some more nuts and bolts about this as the Huskers debut the Fred Hoiberg era of Husker basketball tomorrow night. The women will open their season at noon on Wednesday. Some of these same stations will have the broadcast of that. Wednesday night, we'll have a 90-minute sports night leading you into Husker volleyball as they get set to take on the Northwestern Wildcats at the Devaney Center. 8 o'clock for that first serve. Pre-game coverage begins at 7.30. So an hour of sports night late tomorrow, hour and a half on Wednesday night, and we are slated to have head football coach Scott Frost with us here on the show on Thursday night. All of our callers and guests, dial us up on our Sports Only Hotline, which is brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. That'll put a wrap on the show. Thanks to Adam Rittenberg for spending some time with us here in hour number three. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Austin, and to all of you for being a part of this one tomorrow night. We'll have a one-hour show for you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your night. Good night. Good night.